brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Enlightened philosophers tell us we are divine beings in human form. Let's get real here. How can we live a busy life with a job, kid, and mortgage and still be spiritual? That's what you want to know. Join CJ Liu as together we tackle real life issues through a spiritual lens. Talking with experts about relationships, work, and more. Get practical life skills and learn how to touch, feel, and experience a whole new way of living. This is Fired Up with CJ. The place to go if you aren't a monk but still want to live a spiritual life. Join the conversation now at FiredUpWithCJ.com. FiredUpWithCJ.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fire It Up With CJ show. Today we are continuing our Back to School series, and we have a local expert from Seattle, Emily Metzger, who is talking about uh, great conversations, which is part of the work that she does about having great conversations with your kids. So welcome, Julie. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy time of year when school begins. It just feels like chaos ensuing. All the transitions that we go through. And I, what I thought we could do is talk about the transition into high school, which is a pretty big juncture. And even within high school, it seems like they're different, you know, freshman and sophomore year are different than junior and senior year. So I wanted to get your expert advice on what we can expect during those years in terms of both the social and emotional development of our kids. As a teacher in the community, I, we always kind of look at, well, we're constantly looking at developmental space. And so we always think of uh, kind of fourth and fifth graders, sixth graders kind of in their own little bubble, kind of going either way, then mm-hmm. seventh and eighth, mm-hmm. and then kind of ninth, ninth, tenth. Right. There's this giant kind of 
oh, I don't even know what to call it, but then 11th, 12th, that, that there's quite a difference developmentally between 9th, 10th, especially at the beginning of the school year, mm-hmm. and then 11th, 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you look at behaviors of kids and, and decision-making that they do, you can see that reflected in, in their um, decision-making, that gap in high schools between kind of 9th, 10th. And again, it really, even kids change so much developmentally within a year. You see a difference. Every parent and teacher sees a difference between September 9th, 10th mm-hmm. and June 9th, 10th. 9th, 10th. Yeah. It's, yeah, interesting. So even within each of those years. So yeah. you know, what, what, when you group the ninth and 10th year together, what is it that you see or the common characteristics? And I know it will vary, but what are generalized characteristics of that grade beginning of the year and then June? I think that if you were to say to a ninth grader, um, oh, any high-risk behavior, like um, in high school, what might happen is you would be asked to to ride in a car and the driver would have been drinking. A ninth grader is still concrete enough to go, I'm never going to put myself in that situation. Mm-hmm. That's that's far away from any experience that I've ever had, nor can I ever picture that. Mm-hmm. And then and then by the time you're in 10th grade, if spring of 10th grade year, you, you might say, I still have never experienced that, but it's completely possible for me to picture that. And, and that giant kind of awareness of the world um, makes it very different in terms of how you approach that decision. A ninth mm-hmm. grader who, especially in September, would think, I've never experienced that, nor will I ever put right. myself in that situation is a very concrete thinker. Right. And by the spring of your 10th grade year, you have this idea of that's possible that stresses me out or, or maybe they'll act cynically about that, or maybe they'll, they'll sort of act cool about it. Like, well, I just handle that or, but it's, it's more of a, a wake to the uh, possibility of something being outside the realm of my experience. Mm, okay, and then what happens in eleventh? So that it's the the class of actions are like risky behavior, whether that driving with someone drunk is risky behavior. So what happens in eleventh and twelfth grade? Well, when you when you look at national data, so it's always challenging to look at data, right? Because right. if if I said to you, CJ, um, ten percent of kids jump rope in middle school, you'd go, well, that's hardly worth me considering. But if your kid is the national champion. It's 100% for you. Right. Right? So what's hard about national data is I can tell you what that data shows in terms of risk behavior, but if your child is is 100% in it, it's 100% for you. It's not 10%, right? Right. And, and that's true if you're the 10th grader. Uh, if I said uh, 20% of high school kids smoke cigarettes and your kid is at one of the 20%, it's 100% percent for them right so what's helpful is just to kind of look if you start at the forty thousand foot level and go well so what does go on in high school across the nation right there is a sharp increase between 10th grade and 11th grade and in between sophomore and junior year and some of that has to do with where where they are in the culture um, what we expect from them in the culture and what, what, how they see themselves. But it also has to do a little bit with their, or a lot with kind of where their brains are. And I always tell 
uh, juniors in high school, you know, you probably have the least amount of branches on the tree of your brain in junior and high school. So wow. you're working with the least amount of material uh, <laughs> that you'll probably ever work with outside of being a newborn. Um, so they aren't, they aren't always, um, they have some of the, also some of the biggest branches that, that they will ever develop as a junior in high school. If, you, if you've been studying Latin, your, your Latin branch will, could be quite large in um, as a junior in high school. But we also treat juniors in high school as more adult. And so they find themselves in more adult situations. They, they, they have more freedom and responsibility at the same time. And then, and then they're just experimenting. So that whole combination of things kind of tips the scale that way. Mm-hmm. And, and they become... Uh, you know, all of adolescence is really asking the question, is it true what they told me at my dining room table? Um, and, and when you're, when you're a junior in high school, you are out in the world looking kind of figuratively back, you know, at, at the dining room table going, so is it true if I have sex, I actually get pregnant? Is it true if I smoke a cigarette, I actually get cancer? Is it, is it true what they told me at my dining room table? And if we've had interestingly, interesting enough conversations with our kids, we will have kind of grown with them to help them see that it isn't necessarily a black and white thing. It's a right. very gray world. And, and very astute juniors in high school understand how to work the grayness of it. Mm. Okay, so, so let me go back to what you said before. So their neural networks, are be, their neural pathways are being formed. So the abstract thinking, I guess, is that what's happening? So I, I, here's how I like to describe it. Yeah. Your brain is like a tree. Right. And when you're born to about sixth grade, the job of your brain is to put on as many branches as possible. Okay. So you've learned how to tie a shoe. You've learned how to speak French. You've learned how to um, ride a bike. But you're you're putting on an enormous number of branches. And and in a in a healthy family and in a healthy school, you're just that is just an explosion of branches. Right. What happens in about sixth grade through your teenage years is that you actually have those branches pruned away. Mm-hmm. And what gets pruned away are the branches you're no longer using or or not using well. Right. So the branches that grow the best and the fastest and with the most vigor are the ones that you um, are concentrating on. So if right. you're a golfer or if, you, if you're doing math problems, those are the branches that get big. Mm. Likewise, um, what, what puts it uh, – so as those branches prune then – um, you can you can essentially say that the brain of a middle school and high school student is is literally becoming in front of you the brain of their adult brain. Ah, uh, okay, got um, it. You know, when you doesn't mean that at fifty seven I can't learn a new skill or build another branch that that gets very big. But I, every professional basketball player you know and cellist, um, they've actually been doing that work since middle school, high school, if not before. Right. That it's your biggest branches are the ones you've spent the most amount of time and concentration and expertise and practice on. Um, a junior in high school, then, if you look at that kind of model, is working with the least number of branches. It's kind of in a uh, scenario. But a fully formed tree really starts to be recognized on an MRI at about a 23-year-old girl and a 25-year-old boy. And then they continue to, you know, your tree continues to build upon the strength of the tree that's established by then. Okay, got it. So during ninth and 10th, there's, so what happens during the 
So your brain is actually getting pruned to have bigger branch, you know, bigger branches, but yeah. you're actually thicker. I don't know. What is it? Thicker branches yeah, and pruning thick, out some others. Branches. And then what I'm also hearing is that during that time, you know, risk taking takes place because part of what I understand is that you're trying to be out on your own. So unless you take risks and figure out how to be on your own, you're never really going to be able to launch, so to speak. Right. And so they're kind of looking back and going, now, really? My parents said this and not so much. Like I'm looking at this and not so much true. Sure. And I'm working with situations where I'm out on my own and, and comparing the world that I'm seeing out in my world compared to the world that has been described for me and, and asking the question, is it, is that really the way the world works? Right. And how, how learning how to define for myself, some of my own truths. Um, and, and in the end, honestly, our other local fantastic expert, Laura Kastner says, you know, statistically, actually the apple rarely falls far from the tree. Mm -hmm. Um, your kids generally follow your kind of general value set, um, often the faith set or a, a, a rhythm and a lifestyle set that, that is not so very different from the one they were raised in. But during adolescence and early 20s, it's a real opportunity to reflect and and experiment and choose within the parameters of the life that they that they have to kind of reestablish or reform or recommit to those ideas. Mm, interesting. So it starts kind of kind of at the June of 10th grade and then it just <laughs> continues well, what does it start? It's actually been going on all along. Okay. I mean, as a, you know, as a fresh piece of paper in the 10th grade. I think what happens is that as kids grow, you know, there, there are really amazing, resilient, mature kids that are fifth graders. Uh, there are really interesting, mature people that take longer to establish some of the root system and the, of their tree. Um, some of that is, um, some of that certainly gets affected by uh, an illness or uh, poverty mm-hmm. or anything that would pause um, an experience for yourself mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. allow the tree to kind of be fully engaged and growing. But but at the same time, all kids are kind of building this tree. And, and there's certain temperament styles that we bring to it, certain certain opportunities that get brought to our plate. And and those all af- affect the growth of that tree. What, mm-hmm. what I think happens though is that we we have a more concrete thinking brain when we're um, younger and we develop more abstract thought um, as we get older. And and that very much impacts sort of your view of the world. When we work with sixth graders, we love, uh, I love challenging a sixth grade class with a, with a scenario where they feel out of sorts and, and all alone in a situation. And those sixth graders say the inevitable thing. I I would never do that. Um, My dad would get mad. Right. And um, I can bring a sixth grader to tears. They're so sure of the <laughs> fact they would never, ever do something. They're so responsible. Right. And so um, they're so assured of the truth of the dining room table. It's, it's powerful. Mm. I mean, you can take those same exact kids, though, to even two years later, even eighth and ninth grade, and you can challenge them with the exact same scenario. And they see right away, well, 
I might lose a friend if I say yes. Then right. I might I might put at risk the relationship with my dad. I right. might um, actually get hurt. Um, that perspective of time beyond this moment, others beyond myself. Um, that that's a more gray world, mm. and and that's a good thing, mm-hmm. right? That's a good thing. And sometimes parents see that as a time where they need to clamp down on their kids when really. Um, it's an opportunity, especially as your kids are exploring in, in, in mostly, if you feel like they're mostly in a safe space for an opportunity to explore outside their comfort zone to see what happens. And I think mm. when we give them experiences that allow their decision-making branches to mature, right, and then they get a chance to repeat those over and over and over again in the same way that they practice the cello and that cello branch gets giant. If we give our kids an opportunity to practice decision-making and, and be responsible and feel the impact of their decision and to live with the consequence, um, we've done some great work at building branches that, that offer them uh, confidence. Uh, okay, so I think I get the dilemma. A junior in high school makes a bad decision. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying that, that our best work happens when we've allowed kids all along the way to kind of practice this idea of what would happen if I blah, blah, blah. And, and for a kindergartner, that's what if I don't return my library book? Um, what if I forget my PE clothes? Um, for a sixth grader, it might be what if I don't invite CJ to my birthday party? What happens, <laughs> what happens when I right. beat someone out? Right. Um, what happens when I gossip? Uh, what happens when I lie? Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of that is a, I, a, a trying something on and then going, oh, that did not go well for me. Right. Bigger branch. Some of the biggest branches we have in our brains are from these moments, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can all look back and go, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. Right. I, I learned that when I was a junior in high school. Right. <laughs> A lot of good lessons back No, but a lot of our adult experiences, like when I coach people and I'm like, when did that start? It goes back to junior high when a girl threw gum in my hair and I trust, and I, I learned that I have to be really smart and on top of things, you know, where I'm like, oh, you know, that's where it starts. You know, it's so powerful when you think of the role of a parent in a situation like that. If you think of this kind of urge for us to be uh, kind of a mother bear. Uh, to protect, right? It's such a natural place. I don't want to feel my child to feel discomfort or embarrassment or or being alone. Mm-hmm. Or uh, it, it's so powerful. I know that you think you're doing a good thing by helping them by taking over, by making the decision yourself, or by um, managing the situation so that it doesn't occur. Mm-hmm. Yet. Um, you know, we've done, we've not done anything about building their branch on that topic. Mm-hmm. We've only kind of reinforced our own. Um, right. I have, I have three friends that called me up one day and said, Hey, you know, could you, could we take you out to um, coffee? <laughs> yes. And I just knew, you know, something. Yes. Said, hey, yes. You know, sure. What's up? And they said, they all admitted they're all professional people, uh, two attorneys, one uh, healthcare provider, really amazing people phenomenal parents 
and they all admitted to pretty much rewriting a, a paper of their freshman college. And they had admitted it to each other, and they were kind of asking me what I thought. And I, I thought this is a great example of, you know, we get so practiced at kind of um, helping and in holding up and, and hoping it goes well that we've taken it right into the classroom in a college that we're in a different city than we're even living. Right. Of people that actually need to learn how to write a paper, right? Um, and and it they knew it, you know, and it was like they just did it. Right. It was so easy. And right. I go, yeah, you're probably really good at writing papers. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, it happens right. so fast. And I think they walked away from that conversation just after uh, having admitted that, like, but that that's. That I'm not doing that again. But right. it's a it's a funny thing. At what point do you allow your kids to kind of fall on their face and get a D? Right. Okay. So so the contrast would have been I'm calling you before, or or my my 11th grader is telling me. Okay. Th- actually, this is my 11th grader said I don't want to take the ACT um, in October, even though we're scheduled. And I was like, okay, honey. And I'm thinking, you should take it. But I'm thinking, well, why, do you, why don't you want to take it? And then he's like explained everything. And then I listened to him. I'm like, no, those are all valid reasons. Actually, just take it in December or whenever you – I said, when do you yeah. want to take it? And he said, I want to take it December. I'm like, okay. And I said, if you feel like that's the best thing for you, I mean, you know who you are and you can make a decision like that. Um but that was only because I had just finished reading a parenting book. Now, how do I- <laughs> well, I, but I love it's so great. It's so true because we want it. it it's hmm, it's not a bad thing, or we're not bad people. We're just it's just so hard to turn that off of thinking. I know the answer here, and they need to hear it. When really there are other answers. That was a great example of that. There are yeah. really other answers. Yeah. And um, uh, by listening to that, instead of just coming at it with your own thing, you allowed a different response. And it would have been interesting if your 11th grader would have said, I'm not taking it at all. Or oh, I'm in college. Oh, he's, he said that too. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I can understand why you wouldn't why you would say that yeah. and here let's I'll show you the statistics that these statistics don't necessarily mean that they're relevant for you but mom and dad's experience and this is our experience has have said that if you don't then these are the consequences and I guess if you accept the consequences that's what's going to happen yeah. so you know and and and, and, and the, the consequences is- include all the way up to if you know if you're in this home and you aren't in college, then our expectations are. You know, there's so many ways to continue to build the story. One of my favorite all-time research projects looked at decision making on kids, and they had three qualities of a decision making good decision maker. One was you can act autonomously within a crowd. You know, I can stand alone, even if you and your friends are gossiping and I want to be your friend, I could stand alone and go, "Mm, that's not for me. Right. That's hard work. Oh, my gosh, that's hard work. Yes. Second, that you could have perspective of time beyond this moment, others beyond yourself. Mm. Also, easy, easy to picture that. But in a situation like you're describing there, 
the ACT seems like a hassle. I'm kind of busy. It doesn't seem right. I don't believe in testing, you know, whatever it is. But when you play it all out, you know, it's hard to look beyond this moment or the pain of this moment or the anxiety of failure of this moment. You know, it's just really hard. Um, and then the third idea of great decision maker is impulse control, the ability to not act on every feeling that I have, that, mm. that not to get rid of my own anxiety, do I just cancel the test? Mm. Not to get rid of my anxiety of fitting in, I just gossip, right? That idea of, of managing my feelings even in a discomfort place. And I think mm. lots of times we could leave our kids in a kind of uncomfortable place um, for a little bit longer than we do. And, and that's whether they're four or whether they're 24. And, and whether they're four, it's maybe a shorter amount of discomfort place because they're still learning it and they're learning still how to trust the world. And at 24, because generally you hope that you've built a safe, interesting place and environment, you can kind of leave them in an uncomfortable place for a while. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And that's so hard because we oh. just want to wipe their noses and their butts. You know, it's like, I've been doing this for years. Yes. <laughs> I must wipe your nose and your butt. You know, it's, right. this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. That's hard. But I think actually what you did is you broke down like three different kind of, okay, that is the rule. Because I think it's hard because uh, you read parenting books like you're supposed to be a coach. You're like, okay, and I'm actually a coach. Like, that's my job. <laughs> right. You're a professional. And I still don't know what they mean. You know, <laughs> it's like. I th- am I supposed to coach my kid like you're a client? Like I'm not sure. But what I but I what I heard you say were three things. One is to kind of look at the perspective. Okay, you're deciding us now. Let's actually in coaching language would be doing future pacing. So what happens if you choose this? What happens if you do this? Let's actually help you do some future pacing so that you can feel in your body how do you feel if this happens? So I'm hearing yeah. the future pacing and kind of perspective or how do you think you're going to look back when you're, you know, 80, you know, all those kind of perspective shifts. That's one thing. And then I heard the other thing is allowing them to be in their pain without going in and scooping them up and putting like slapping like a little smiley face on it, which I think is what parents want to do. Well, here's another way of looking at it. You know, it's like- well, I think part of it is, so let's go to a, a really simple fourth grade situation. Someone's yeah. having a birthday party and they need to decide who to invite and they don't want to invite so-and-so. And, and so you allow this, moment to say someone says well I'm not going to invite so-and-so and and you can kind of say well how do you think that'll play out you know that's an interesting choice Mm -hmm. and you know that you allow space and a pause there it's really easy especially when we're in a hurry and we already know we don't want that solution set as a parent and that we can even remember it's so crazy what gets drawn up about your own fourth grade experience, right? When yeah, so I was left out, that's never gonna happen here, kind right. of thing. Whatever that is. It, right. it could be anything about right. parenting, sometimes is just your own healing of right. your own fourth grade moment, whatever that is. But you, but as a coach, right, to me it allows space and silence that uh, that says huh. And then you, you let your fourth grader go. And when they say it out loud, then they get a chance to sit in it versus us quickly, you know, moving them on or telling them the 10 reasons why you think that you have a better idea. And I, and I think, I think that 
It's just allowing space and sitting in silence for a little bit longer than we tend to do in this mm. world and culture. And, and, and I think I have to say as a stereotype that I'm just going to claim that moms are really vulnerable to filling the space with words a lot. And I think, again, good intentions and oftentimes in, in, in part of the world that we're in, they're the ones kind of managing the next thing. So they're already kind of wanting to move on. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure we would ever do that to our friends. I would never call you and you say, I've got something on my mind, if you've got this or that, and you're going, well, I wouldn't just fill it with my answer. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You. Yeah. I would allow you to go, I'd go, tell me more about that. I, I don't know that I get that. Or I right. would say, um, help me understand that better. Right. And then I would allow some space because you're my adult friend, but we tend to jump right in. Uh, it's, it's funny because as I said, I'm a coach. So with clients, I, and I actually am a coach. So I know how to do this yeah. <laughs> with kids. I'm like, Okay, what do you think? Okay, here's what I think. Here's yeah. the 10 reasons. These are the 10 consequences, all of which are dire. Do what I want, you know? And it's like, I just have to, and I'm a little bit better than that, but it's, it's, it, that's happening. That's my internal dialogue. And I'm like, kind of yeah. ratchet myself. I have to like ratchet myself back, like ratchet it back, CJ, ratchet it back. Because- we all do. And I, part of it is, somebody said to me a long time ago, it's holding your kids capable. Mm-hmm. And I love that line. I love that line. Because it's, you're literally looking at your child with these words in your mind. What an interesting, capable person. I look forward to hearing what else is on your mind. 
mm-hmm. instead of let me fill up your mind with my capable, amazing. <laughs> I'm just laughing because, you know, as skilled as I am as a coach, you still make mistakes because it's different when you put your, like, there's a coach hat that someone can pay me and I'm, and I'm there and doing all the things that you're talking about. And then when you're put your mom hat on, yeah. you know, all those things that you just described, the fears that you had, I, my son just took the ACT. And uh, my dad just drilled into me like, this is the test of your life, you know. So he's taking it for the first time. I could have sworn I was going to have a heart attack, you know, (laughs) while he was taking the test. My husband's like, you need to look into that. And I was like, no, I have been looking into it this whole week because I realized I'm bringing so much of my own baggage and I'm not trying, and I'm trying like heck to be boundaried so I don't blur into my son's story because I, he, there's no reason he should have this story, but I have it with my own childhood as, you know, a kind of tiger mom, dad kind of parenting. But it's so interesting because all those things, you have to check yourself all the time. And to, I think it's like, it's almost like if you wanted to do anything, it's tuning in going, What's really happening here? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm doing, I have this favorite new thing that I do. I yelled at, you know, I'm, I, I lose my, I lose my cool. Caden, yeah. you know, the, you know, and like, you know, I'm, and then I go back and go, God, I am such a jerk. And then I go back and I'm like, okay, what is really happening? That was so, so poorly executed. What is happening? What is really happening for you? What is it that you're really fearful that would create that kind of response? Yeah. And it is a fear thing. Oh, it's always a fear thing. Almost always when I lose my cool, what I have to uncover is what I'm afraid of. And I think that's true with our kids. So when our kids are flying at us and we tend to either fly back, right, or exit stage left, I think it's, it's a more interesting thing if we can pause before we fly back in to go and wonder what they're afraid of, because yeah. it's almost always true for us, right? right. That we, That's I, I mean, you've just said it perfectly. And I also, makes me laugh about the testing thing too, because we even bring um, a generational perspective to it around testing, mm-hmm. right? Our kids have been, our kids have been in Seattle and Seattle questions testing. Mm-hmm. In a big way, in a big public, interesting way, there's always right. this thing of testing. Right. Testing is incorrect or testing should be challenged. Right. So why would we be surprised that our kids would go, I don't see the big thing about the test. It's right. just funny how we bring, though, from another time, this idea of something. And then right. our kids come at it from a different perspective that may or may not be valid. Right. Or true, but same with us, right? right? Sometimes we're just like, you know, we're held back by the right. 70s or whether we're held back from the 80s. It's so true, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, okay, so for video games, like, that's a perfect one where I'm like, get off, you're going to go, like, I was never on video game. Bam, why are you on video exactly. games all the time? Can't you exactly. talk, talk to your friends? Can't you have them over to, to talk? And then, you know, and, and then I think, then I actually, I, I have that conversation in my head before I say anything. <laughs> and then I ratchet it down, like, yeah, but there's probably some reason. So yesterday, my son, you know, we asked him, he has this day off because it's Rosh Hashanah. But he, he, we said, so um, I, I noticed that you didn't come up and I'm wondering why. 
because I in my head I was like because when we ask you a question you know on Skype we expect you to come up right away you know I, I have this whole dialogue in my head scripted out and he said oh I didn't get your message I'm checking Skype and I didn't get your message <laughs> and I thought well that go that that just blows my whole argument <laughs> and then I said uh, you know what I've noticed that you've played you've been playing computers a lot and I honestly I honestly am not, I've been struggling here trying to figure out why and what the benefits are. And like, because I can kind of see that's a blur of like, you're hanging out with friends talking, which I think is like, that's a good thing. Then you're playing games and having fun is a good thing. Like he's taking all honors classes. He needs to blow off some steam. And I'm like, and hey, you could actually be hanging out smoking pot or walking around the streets. And I guess if these are the evils I have to choose, playing computer games is not so bad. So I really don't know what's going on. But it took a long – so that's the thing where I'm like, that's bad for your brain. And I've read all these studies and it says this is awful and I just stop doing it. Like I just – to tell them yeah. to stop doing it. And you should be working on your extracurriculars. Your ACT test. Your, yeah, you should be taking your ACT tests and working on your extracurriculars and figuring out your life because, and then I was like, why does he even have to do that? You're probably going to live to 100. You have like 100 years <laughs> to figure this out. Yeah. You don't have to figure out any of this stuff. You know, you can actually, there's a kind of a reverse scenario that I can think of here where In the 70s and the 80s, our understanding of drinking and being in high school was more of a rite of passage. Right. That we uh, considered that a little bit boys will be boys thing or girls will be girls. And that drinking was sort of the kind of thing that maybe you'd have, you'd kind of know the kids are downstairs drinking and you might think to yourself, well, that's their high school, whatever. Yeah. Well, we know so much more about the effect of alcohol on brains now. So it's, in a way, it's just that exact scenario, except we know more, mm-hmm. right? And I think when we know more, we have sort of a another redo in our heads about helping our kids reframe a traditional cultural response to a certain behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? It's just such an interesting thing to kind of participate alongside our kids as they navigate what the world tells them Mm -hmm. about a video game or drinking or smoking pot is another fantastic example, especially in this day and age where we're newly legalizing marijuana and the mixed messages that we have about that, both from bringing again back from the seventies and eighties in our own experience being under a different set of rules and a different understanding. And then what does that mean to our own kids now? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's all very interesting. I think bottom line, we're hoping that our kids, you know, can be interesting, compassionate, resilient people to pursue their passions and do it well and stay healthy. And we're not guaranteed any of that. And I think that um, they also generally want the same thing. Sometimes, though, their perspective of time beyond um, this moment and others beyond themselves and being autonomous and not acting on every feeling is, is puts them at risk for right. acting impulsively or not putting it together uh, for the long term. And those kinds of situations, the more we can put our kids in situations where 
they um, kind of have to live within a, a fairly safe place around some of those painful things gives them skills to navigate out of bad or worse situations and more challenging situations as they get older. Yeah. So I have a question for you since go, following to what you said. So, you know, sex is a big thing at this age range. And so, and, and uh, we, we actually did all, we had our kids go to your, um, both of our boys go to Rob's presentation and, you know, and I've talked to them and they said, yes, we know mom, we know, you know, how to make a baby. And then, uh, and, and we were following your rule of thumb, which is, you know, it's a lot of one minute conversations, a hundred one minute conversations versus one, a hundred minute conversation. So we have these little, we watch TV and you're like, what do you think about that? You know, we do everything yeah. that you recommended. Um, my husband even just recently took a banana and put a condom on it. And they were like, why are you doing this? And it's like, just so you know, just so you know, <laughs> I, I, you may not be thinking about right. it now but I did this time, for 10 years but here it is yeah here it is and we'll keep on showing it to You'll you never right. forget it yes <laughs> actually it wasn't a banana it was a, a toothbrush a toothbrush yes um so not a toothbrush one of those electric anyways um right. so so what are the conversations about you know the kids are prone to risky behavior. They're interested in exploring who they are and their bodies. Um, what is happening with respect to their interest in sex, both for boys and girls, as they, you know, the ninth and 10th, 11th and 12th grade, or 11th slash 12th graders, what's happening during that time? And what are the great conversations that are good to have for kids? Well, I, I first, you know, as people are in as your kids are moving into middle school or high school, one of the things that an abstract thinker can think about that a more concrete thinker is feels so separated from is actually the idea of desire. Um, the idea of feeling, feeling sexual. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not that not a, that there isn't a fifth grader out there that doesn't feel that, but certainly the idea of attraction is, is, more understood or more encountered as people get older. And I think recognizing that about our kids and, and acknowledging that. And then again, in a world that is kind of exploring out loud as a culture and um, in all sorts of both positive and, and mysterious ways, the idea of gender and, and uh, the idea of attraction and same-sex uh, relationships and, and everybody asking themselves the question, well, who am I attracted to? And mm. what does that look like for me? And I don't know that we have these conversations with our kids are more um, just allowing the conversation to be said and just this implicit understanding that within our family structure, we see the world this way and that we see it, we, we love you. Mm -hmm. um, and that we as parents also simultaneously to having conversations where we're informing our kids about things like, hey, uh, there are really sexually transmitted diseases out here. I really want you to know because we don't have medicines for some of them at all. And they're hard to figure out if you have them even when we do have a medicine. That, that's an important idea in middle school and high school. But I, but I also think parents sometimes really miss the most simple and basic sex talk in the world, which is 
loving the people well in your life Mm -hmm. and taking care of each other. I mean, how are our kids ever going to expand their idea of sex if we don't show them what commitment looks like, what Mm. intimacy looks like, what um, vulnerability looks like, what... um, that really great sex is uh, an emotional and physical commitment to people. And so if we want the truth of sex to be bigger than what the culture tells us it is, Mm -hmm. which is a trivialization of sex, Mm -hmm. um, then it is not so much, it it is so much more than just the facts. Mm -hmm. The facts can can give you information around a sexually transmitted disease. The facts can tell you what to do to get tested for those, to, to protect yourself against those. Um, but I'm all, I sometimes think we miss the opportunity to say, um, how do you make an investment in a, in a relationship of love? How do you, how do you know when someone is your partner? How do you know that this relationship is important and how do you communicate that? Mm-hmm. And, and one of the ways that our, our, we can best teach that is to show it. And I think sometimes we get, we get more afraid about the scary things of sex um, and worry that they have the facts to navigate those, which are important. But those get buried under that rubble, um, the the truths about sex that we also want our kids to know, which is that it's fun and amazing and building within a relationship and important and, in fact, essential. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we miss telling them other truths about sex that um, out of our own fear, I think. Mm, mm, That's really powerful, I think, because I I think it's interesting because I was talking to – they had this – one video that's gone viral. You've probably seen it about, do you want tea? Do you want to drink tea? And it's about, have you seen that one? <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so we had our kids watch it and we we're like, so we just wanted you to see this. It's a really short little video. Let's talk about it during, like we played it during dinner time. And then we talked about the video and they're like, and then they're like, mom, we've learned about tea at school. And I said, I know but I just want you to have the opportunity to talk about tea with us you know, because yeah. we're here, you know, because, because I think the schools, most schools, I think do a pretty good job about the factual pieces of information, like yes. standard, the um, transmitted disease, even at the school that we, our sons go to that are pretty progressive is they had um, people talking about um, transgender and being yes. gay and like it's okay and let me tell you about my experience so that the kids had an understanding of what that meant and that it's okay I mean, because particularly you go to a progressive school which I'm completely on board with that message but I, we don't do the here's what it means to be in a loving relationship here's how you know here's I don't know how you know if you're if you're in love or not or if this is the person but this is what I've experienced and and you know, they can't necessarily contribute to the conversation, but at least you can offer I mean, we don't, no one talks about that stuff. Right. You know, even, you know, if you think again, I always find it interesting that people who are especially worried about, for instance, me talking to their kids about sex um, are also some of the people that don't want me to mention birth control or don't want me to mention 
a sexually transmitted disease and and also um, they miss an opportunity to in by not bringing those things up those aren't the only things to talk about. What we want to also talk about is what sex is, right? And not just those parts of it. Um, I always, I like to say to high school kids, if, if I were here, if I had an hour, I have an hour right now to talk about sex. If I had an hour to talk about the ocean, I would bring you a movie about the ocean. I'd bring some sand in. I'd bring some ocean sounds. And we could look at some film footage and, and all of that. And, and at the end of the hour, we you would barely understand what an ocean is. You wouldn't know what it feels like to put your feet in the sand and look at the sunset. You, you wouldn't know what it felt like to be 20 leagues uh, below the ocean in a submarine or out on a sailboat. I go, it takes a lifetime to really begin to even understand the vastness of the ocean. And I mm -hmm. said, sex is a lot like that. It takes a lifetime to actually learn about the, the sacred, mysterious parts about sex. Mm -hmm. and, and that part of what makes that amazing is that it, it can be big, but the world actually treats sex like it's, actually very small. Yeah, the small Tiny. little. It's and about, I think yeah, that's really when we, a good when point. we trivialize it and make it small or make it compact so that it just becomes one idea. That's when that's when sex starts to look like pornography or mm -hmm. or rape because there's only sort of one single thing about that that um that becomes the defining idea about sex when, it, when we want our kids to expect and know it's huge and wonderful and, and mysterious and sacred. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want my kids to think of the ocean in only one tiny little way. Right. I want them to think about it. I, I want them to not just see it as um, one thing. I, I, I want it to feel big. Mm -hmm. and, and I like the idea of families also owning you know, you mentioned your progressive style, and I, I think there's lots of families that are more conservative. I, I want them to just own that, say it out loud. In our family, we believe blah, blah, blah. Um, because I think it helps kids understand that that's a value of your family. And that, and that even if they decide later to expand upon that value or to recommit to that value, it they understand it as an idea that they're recommitting to. Not those aren't those ideas aren't always just science facts. Right. They aren't just body parts. Right. Right. Love it. That's really that's prof you're getting profound, Julie. Seriously, I really do think it because like anything. There is a cultural idea about sex, and I think we're all kind of brainwashed. And even though we have sex with our partners and we love them, and it's on all these wonderful components about it, and we have life experience, I think all of us kind of still distill it down to a couple different things, which are related to our fears, right? Versus yeah. the stuff that's related to our love. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, I never forget this moment. We were, I was talking to a group of senior girls 
there, there was springtime of their senior year. They were headed off to college, and I, and I said the whole ocean idea. And I said, um, you know, that, that I, just, I just described almost exactly what I just described to you. And I said, um, somebody asked a question. They were asking questions on anonymous cards. And this question comes forward, and it says, well, what is a hookup? Mm. And I said, a hookup is if, and then I, I grabbed my water bottle. And I said, a hookup is if I said, this is the ocean. Even if mm. I filled it with ocean water, um, it's just simply limited to the experience of this water bottle and nothing to do with the vastness of the ocean. So then up later came this other card. And she said, what if I have 50 water bottles? Wow. And I said, what you have is a water bottle collection, but you don't necessarily understand what the ocean is. Mm. That, that a single hookup, that idea of correlating it with that water bottle means that it's limited within that experience. It has nothing to do with, with it is truth about body parts coming together. It is truth about... Uh, an encounter, a physical encounter between two people. There's, there's real ocean water in this water bottle. It's not mm-hmm. untruth, but it is limited in its scope and never can actually become the ocean because it is limited in a single experience, a hookup. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not ever the ocean. It's just ocean water in a single receptacle. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. That absolutely. comes another card and somebody says, well, then what is pornography? And I said, well, pornography is a really extremely interesting idea because um, there's such a wide range of what we understand pornography to be. But if we, if we take it at its most crude form, pornography, um, I would say that it was as if I took this water bottle and I filled it with tap water and I added salt, elements of true <laughs> ocean, right. and sold it to you. Yes. The ocean. Mm. That is the essence of pornography. It has real elements of sex and sexuality to it, but it, the combination of it, because it's been contrived, only reflects the ocean. It doesn't, it is not the ocean, mm. um, but it, it can reflect truisms about the ocean, mm-hmm. um, but it is not the total truth. Uh, you know, those Senior girls uh, in that situation, they, they loved that. They, they were um, reminded of the opportunity to allow themselves a vision of sex bigger than the world tells them that it is. Mm. You know, and that helps me kind of, I think, normal, not almost helps understand i think that what i've what i've heard you know these are the nightmare stories that parents share with each other about girls that are you know giving blow jobs to guys to you know as a dare or adopting some of the predatory behavior that guys had when we were in college but girls are now having like these hookups where they go out but it helps because that's the, that's that's their cultural understanding of it that they see on TVs. They don't know anything better, so they're not expecting the ocean. They're just expecting salt water and bottles. Exactly. Or, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly, I I think um, I think that a, a water bottle 
can also be instructive about the ocean. It's just that it can't be your total understanding. And we've done a disservice to our kids if we allow that to be the only definition of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and that's where the trivialization of sex becomes uh, what makes it smaller. We, we have, it, it it's um, in the same way that not all pornography, if you think of well, what, you know, what about new drawings of impressionists, uh, the impressionists or, or a piece of art. Um, that there are some that would view the naked body as pornography when, when it doesn't describe it exactly. It's mm-hmm. still your naked body and it's mm-hmm. not pornographic. Mm-hmm. Or there are opportunities for people to explore sexuality on the internet that they might otherwise not have available to them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that I, I, I think it's just always understanding, though, that we have an obligation and a responsibility to share with our kids that that it's bigger and more interesting. Mm -hmm. And in fact, something that I feel personally committed to within my own marriage. Um, And I would want the same for them. Yeah. I I don't want it to be different or less than. Yeah. All right, we've been talking to Julie Metzger about great conversations, and uh, that is really, truly a great conversation. So you're, <laughs> the, and your website is greatconversation.com. Com. Com. Thank you so much. Uh, that was fabulous and, and so deep, like the ocean. It was incredible. All right, that's <laughs> yeah. Calvin Newport uh, talking about how to become a straight A student with ease. And make sure to find us on iHeart, YouTube, or on our website, www.fireduppwithcj.com. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks for listening to Fired Up with CJ. You can join the conversation, contact CJ Lou yourself, subscribe to her YouTube channel, and find her Facebook page. And check out more shows online now. Get links to it all at firedupwithcj.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.